body in front of him. Trying to look, he throws it alley in the hole! Coming in hot like the Phoenix Suns on this Monday, June 19th episode of the Just Basketball Show. I am Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. As always, we have Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser on production. Jam-packed show today. We're going to talk about the Bradley Beal to Phoenix blockbuster to top the show. Then we have NBA draft guru Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation coming through. And lastly... It's Dame time, at least time to talk about Dame. So we have Eric Garcia Gunderson from Blazers Banter, his great Substack, to come through and talk about all things Portland. Big, big show. It is draft week. And again, if you haven't already, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Hit that subscribe on YouTube. Hit that notification bell. Support the show. And by the way, I want to tell you about our friends at Homage. We have a link below that you click. Some of that money, if you go buy something from Homage, the money comes back to us. They have ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company. They have vintage-inspired designs. They're all awesome. They have NFL, NBA, MLB, WNBA licenses. There's a ton of great stuff there. You're going to guarantee... I guarantee you you're going to find something you like at our friends at Homage. I am currently wearing my Dame Lillard What Time Is It Homage tee. It's a great tee. Shouts to the folks at Homage. Go buy something. Again, use our link below to let them know we sent you. You're jumping in early Brendan. on the vintage. You're making the Dame, yeah. the Dame shirt will be vintage before long. Then a lot of their stuff already is vintage. You're just, you're just going ahead with it now, and then it'll, it'll just reverse it that way. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's right. I was, I was ahead on it. Um, if they make a Miami version, I will be asking them <laughs> to send that to me as well. Wherever Damian Lillard, Appentenda, Brendan, big news. The biggest NBA news today we have is that Bradley Beal is going to the Phoenix Suns. It had been reported over the weekend uh, before this that it was down to Phoenix and Miami. Here's the trade as far as we understand it. Now, we don't know all the swaps. We don't know the years of the picks yet, I don't believe. And we don't know how the work Chris Paul is ultimately going to end up. Will this build into a three-team trade? So that that is a holdup here. But as of right now, Beal is going to Phoenix. Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, some second-round picks, and pick swaps are going out. The exact details, again, we do not know. But Beal obviously had to waive his no-trade clause to get him there. It is worth noting that Sun CEO Josh Bartlestein is the son of Bradley Beal's agent, Mark Bartlestein. You can tell There's from a lot the going on. Helps. I mean, you know, they could be cousins, but just you got to say the, you know. The, no, I, uh, the, the, it's, uh, it's funny how blatant it is. I was not joking about you saying it. I was joking about just how uh, ridiculous it all is, honestly, more so than anything. Uh, I don't know why Bradley Beal ever had a no-trade clause is really the bottom line. Uh, hey, Mark Bartlestein did a great job on that Wizards contract is what I, is what I would say, Brendan. So I, let's let's just look at it this way. There is a lot to unpack here. We will talk about the Beal stuff, I think, through the context of what else is going on linked throughout the show. But here's where my mind went. Beal is another guard to play with Devin Booker, who is also like a two-guard as we understand them. Um, he is an offensive first player. He is 30. This is a very all-in move. And, and my question, I think, to open this up is just, what does Bradley Beal, paired with Devin Booker, paired with Kevin Durant, he's now, he's the third banana, to be clear. This is, he is the third wheel on that, on that superstar tricycle. What does Beal look like in this offense and with those two guys and what, what does this mean for how the offense is just going to function with, with those three all on the floor together in, in the starting and closing five? 
I'm not really sure if it's just happenstance. When you have Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal both wanting to go to your team, you just go ahead and do it. When you have Chris Paul two years before any of that, three years almost wanting to come to your team, you just go ahead and do it. But for some odd reason, the Suns cannot help themselves but attract players who only want to take mid-range shots. Like, just everybody they acquire is on, is on like the upper, upper, upper echelon of, of mid-range frequency. Last year, Bradley Beal took 46% of his shots for mid. That was in the 97th percentile of all NBA players. And Booker and Durant are similarly in the top 10%, top 5% in terms of mid-range frequency. So I think that's kind of where you start. Obviously, Chris Paul's not, not on this team anymore, having gone out in the deal, but that's going to be the interesting part of this. I think my immediate thought is that Bradley Beal, first and foremost, is a guy who will need to get a little more comfortable behind the arc. I think he's going to be the guy, all, all super teams, all, all you know, three-headed monster offensive teams, somebody has to adjust the most, somebody has to alter their game the most. Maybe you call it you know, sacrifice, I don't know. You could still produce at a pretty high level, but I think Beal is going to become much more of a spot-up player, secondary playmaking type of player, maybe bench. You know, if he leads the bench unit, I think that's kind of going to be what his role is here. And he just hasn't had to do that. I mean, even when he played with John Wall, he wasn't really, you know, a spot-up player. They kind of co-managed the offense. And so that's where my mind goes. And I think he can do it, but Beal and Booker both are guys where we know they're great shooters, but they actually don't take a lot of threes. And that's kind of the interesting part of, of their fit for sure. And I, I think the thing with the, with Booker is that just because Chris Paul is going out and you're going to start these two guys, I think like it feels like we're going to see point book. That, that feels like kind of what is going to go on here, Brendan. It feels to me that at least in some capacity, this is now Devin Booker playing point guard and obviously he's not going to be your traditional kind of point guard but I, I think it's going to be on him in, in a way that is really interesting considering he is a superstar player to me like you could argue he is the the best player on the team mm-hmm. I, I think at least like you know Katie it's KD and everything but he he's he's the ascending one I think at this point it's fair to say offensively for he's sure, gonna yeah. Yeah, he he is going to have to acquiesce some of what makes him special, like a little bit to make this work, which is a really interesting place. KD, I think, like in in this construction, like he's going to be malleable to this. I think he's going to be fine, right? Like I I don't suspect, like I just kind of trust KD to morph into whatever. I do think this is going to be something of an adjustment for Booker just because I think he's going to have to kind of be the distributor on this team in some regard. Like, there's just no, like, with, he's going to play 35 minutes tonight. Beal is going to, got to play, like, you know, uh, he put, like, he's got to have to play a ton of minutes. And as well, KD's going to be, that's going to ramp up in the playoffs. You're not going to have, like, a ton of minutes unless it's, like, the right perfect fit for, for a kind of a traditional point guard type on this roster. Well, and they're also not going to be able to get one, uh, is the other part of this, right? I mean, you know, they have Cameron Payne still on this roster. He's, he's the only guy left, uh, really, um, outside of Aiton and Booker and Durant and Beal. So maybe he's a part of that solution. He's not really what you would necessarily call a traditional point guard, even himself, but maybe that's part of it. Other than that, you're looking at minimums. Can they convince Dennis Schroeder and whatnot? So even if, 
they wanted to. I'm not sure they can, but I think that the the reason that they probably feel comfortable with Booker doing that is that he's coming off of a playoff run where he pretty much did it. You know, even when Chris Paul was healthy in that first round and the first two games of the second round for Phoenix, uh, Devin Booker was basically this team's point guard. And the way that he was able to manipulate defenses in the pick and roll, create opportunities for Ayton, for Durant, for the role players, even for Chris Paul, and the more efficient, the way that Booker's been able to get more efficient over time, I think all made the Suns probably feel comfortable moving forward that way. This is how Booker played early in his career, but it was ugly. They didn't win. They didn't have enough talent around him. So he's done it before. I just think he had to get to this point where he was efficient enough and able to actually make his teammates better enough that it made sense on a championship team, not on a lottery team. And it's a testament to his growth that they're able to be here. But I think you're absolutely right that that's going to be probably their their kind of final incarnation when they're closing these games. Because again, pain is there, but a lot of their other incumbent free agents are wings, whether that's Torrey Craig or Josh Okoge or TJ Warren, a lot of these guys that we saw playing on the wing for them in the playoffs, they're probably going to want to retain a lot of those now that they've lost their flexibility. So that lends itself even more again to a lineup that is something like Booker Beal, wing X, Durant, and then and then eight. That That's probably what this is going to be. And not a lot of teams play that way anymore. Uh, so I don't know really if it's, if it's the best decision. It seems like a little bit of a roll of the dice, but it's going to make Booker produce at a, at a much higher level and be thought of in a very different way if he can pull it off. I'm I, very curious to see kind of what Frank Vogel and, and uh, they kept they kept Kevin Young, correct? Yeah. Like what they kind of design up here to kind of make all of this work. This is going to be a real interesting. But I'm curious to see what they do with Aiton. Um, I think obviously like his, the demands of him offensively are going to be, I think a little bit less than now. I think I'm curious to see if they do even more, try, <laughs> even more less yeah, than but, they already were when he didn't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And now I wonder like the dude, how aggressively are they shopping him now to turn him into two well, or would three you players? Do? Would you keep him and, and have him be a little bit more of an anchor for your defense? And if Vogel can kind of get more out of him on that end. And that's been a lot of the talk with before this Beal deal is like, okay, maybe Aiton's actually somebody that you want to give a longer look at now that this particular coach is in place. Whereas now, even if you don't get an amazing trade, which Woj and others have said, there's not a huge market. If you could even just flip him for two depth pieces, maybe that helps your roster feel a little more balanced and not be so reliant, so top heavy on those, you know, three big three guys. I, I would be more inclined to flip him because I do think they need to be they need to find a way to be not so reliant on those top three guys. They are going to be over relying on those top three guys. That's the, the structure of what this roster is now. That, that's unavoidable. Even if DeAndre Ayton is or is not on the roster, that doesn't really, that's, that doesn't impact that to me significantly, right? Like this roster is about those three guys. Now their, their health, their ability to, to score at an insanely efficient level, whatever that's going to look like. That's going to be what takes Phoenix wherever this is going to go. It is about those three guys now. It is about how those three coalesce. But if you wanted to build a roster that can sustain itself, and especially if you're building that KD might miss some time, that Beal might miss some time, like whatever it is, I think you're going to need depth just to manage the regular season better. Some of that can come via UDFAs and finding young guys. I think over over time, the next couple of years of this, you'll need to nail some second rounders. You'll need to nail... Um, UDFAs, you need to know two-way deals and find you guys new jig. That's going to be really, really important, I think, for Phoenix, especially with the CBA. I, I would be more inclined, Brendan, though, to flip Aiton if I knew I could get 
a center back and a wing back at his price range and if a team would give me a pick. That's kind of the three things I would really look for. I don't even need it to be a first. Could it be okay. like a good second? Could it be like a good second? Like yeah. you need like I mean, so here's you got to replenish the cupboards. Sure, absolutely. Um I just sort of think that Aiton maybe there's a world in which he has a really great season and he's more valuable next year. I kind of doubt that. So to me it's like you might you might just have to pull the trigger on the best deal you can find this summer. Um, the deal that a lot of Suns people have been talking about and has been out there is uh, basically something along the lines of Terry Rozier, Cody Martin, the worst of the two, uh, the more injured at least. We don't really know what Cody Martin is yet because he hasn't played much. And then like the 34th overall pick this year, I think is what Charlotte has. That checks your boxes outside of the center. I think in that case, you're probably looking at, can you convince like a Mason Plumley to come to your team on a minimum and be your center? Um, is that good enough? Or is it, what it, what it if that's the package? I just don't know what Terry, like I like Terry Rozier. I don't, what is Terry Rozier adding to your team that you don't have? Probably already? makes a little less sense in the Beal version of, of this team. Exactly, yeah. So that's fair. Yeah, yeah, That that's... Like, maybe they can't be picky. Like, it's possible they just might have to just, like, take whatever is served to them. Like, they're going through the lunch line in middle school on this, right? Like, they might just have to take the L. Um, maybe Indiana wants him after all, you know? <laughs> maybe figure that out. TJ McConnell. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, part of, it, part of it that's interesting and I think kind of speaks to why the Suns might have done this is there's just not a lot of teams that really have a Chris Paul point guard anymore, right? The way that the modern NBA functions is maybe it's not somebody exactly with the career and development trajectory that Booker had, where he kind of had his best years when he played off ball, you know, and bringing him back on. Maybe you, there's a version where, and there's a, a reality, maybe that doesn't go well, but that's really how teams play. You know, it's your guard is sort of your, Beal's a souped up version of this, but your guard is kind of your floor spacer, your scorer, and just a guy who can, you know, dribble and pass and make basic plays, but nothing, you know, John Stockton, Steve Nash, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd, those guys don't really exist anymore. So I could, I I see it from that sun, from that standpoint, as the Suns looked past Chris Paul, it's like, our team's not going to look like this anymore. It just, it just isn't because there's not another player like that. So how do we pivot and bringing in another scorer and putting Booker more in that mold and having Beal be able to do a little bit of it probably does make some sense. Um, plus, Beal's just an awesome shooter. And so you kind of solve your problem there a little bit too, where it's like last year's roster, did they have enough shooting? Could they space the floor for those guys quite well enough? The answer a lot of the time was no. But again, when that third player is Beal instead of a, a ball dominant guy like Chris Paul or with some of their other options, well... That's another box that's kind of checked. I think as long as these guys are healthy, they're going to be really good. Do you think this can be an offense that can kind of score with with Denver and and be among you know the really best offensive scoring teams come postseason time? I think it can. Um, I think particularly if they nail other moves and figure out some of the supplemental shooting and find pieces that fit, it can. Like I think Booker is that good. I mean, I, maybe it's just via podcasting with you and getting and you know and I talking a lot more about basketball. Maybe it is watching just the Suns a ton of the playoffs and the regular season, whatever it is. I'm a Devin Booker, like, I, I, I'm i a Devin Booker true believer. I think that guy is sensational. I think that guy is like an absolute monster and is only going to get better and better and better. Um, it's KD. 
Like, I think with him, you're going to just, if he's healthy, you're in great shape. And Beal is your third option is a good spot for him. He's not going to be overcast to, to be in a certain role. I think it is about what you find as far as depth and what you find as far as just supplemental shooting to kind of round this out. Um, like, I would I would want to bring back Jock Landale if I was them. Um, I would be trying to keep Torrey Craig. I would be f- whatever bargain bin vets that want to live in Air- that want to live in Phoenix and and be in that situation. I'd be chasing that. The other thing I would look at is as far as a trade goes, Brendan, to go back to the the Suns Pacers thing that I think would fit them offensively. But I, the question is like, would Indiana do it? Um, Aiden going out, McConnell and Turner coming back. Yeah, that's been like, and if you and if you did that. Turner can shoot. He can roll for you still as well. You could feed. You could kind of juice it. You could kind of feed in that win. McConnell will give you really good defense at the point of attack. He's an absolute pest. Mm-hmm. And I think you could do some funky three guard stuff with him and Beal and, and Booker if you wanted to get real frisky. I, I would like that. Yeah. For them, the question is like, hey, Indiana is like knows they have you over a barrel, and they'd be like, well, DeAndre Aiden is going to make all this money the next couple of years. Why, like, you need to give us stuff. What do you have to really give else at this point to kind of get something like this over the line? Even if this is the kind of thing where I would be like, they have like five guys I love, and if they keep Craig and Lando at seven guys, and you could figure some of the other stuff out. Like, you know, you make it work. Yeah, but they that's a hard move to make if you don't have other stuff to also give, and then further kind of emphasize what works. And they literally have nothing. I mean, that's the thing after this trade. They have nothing to trade. Like, we thought they had nothing before this. They have nothing outside of just literally DeAndre Ayton by himself. That is it. And so there isn't. But I think the other part of that is, because obviously that that connection has always been there um, because they signed him to the offer sheet last summer and everything else. But um, Miles is maybe just better and on a cheaper contract. So... It's just a hard sell. Um, I think the way that Turner really broke out and was able to to function as more than just a shooter this year probably made the Pacers raise their expectations of what they can be as a team with him and also just sort of what it would take to to move off of him. He's just good. So, you know, they're not as much in a hurry as they might have been when he was trying to fit next to Sabonis and they didn't know what they wanted there. Now they have Halliburton and Turner and they're going to keep building on top of that. And I just wouldn't be in a rush to knock it. I think that's part of what's hard with Aiton is just, just not a lot of teams that look at what they are and think we need a $30 million center. That's what we, that's, what's going to get us over the hump. There might be some situations where it makes some sense and it's just like worth it from a, you know, trying something type of perspective or just like, we're already expensive. We we're already in win now mode. Let's just flip some of our stuff for a center. That's the teams the Suns would need to be looking at. Like Dallas has come up and, and everything else, but I don't know. I, I really think they may just end up being in a situation where Aiton Aiton is still on this team. They kind of their starting five is is holdovers plus Beal, and then really they're just trying to fill out their bench with minimums. Uh, it's an experiment, man. Like we've never really seen something like this to have four max players on one team and uh, be so all in to win a championship in the next couple of years. Let's end kind of on one other aspect of this trade, Brendan, and that's Chris Paul. Uh, as we look at it now, we do not know if he's going to end up in D.C. We do not do not know if he's going to be rerouted to a contender is the word being used by some of the newsbreakers. The Clippers kind of emerging as the most likely option. What do you think of Chris Paul going to this version of the Clippers back to the Clippers? You know, not ending up in D.C. and, and maybe getting bought out and getting to pick where he goes 
potentially getting rerouted to be the Clippers' answer at point guard? I like it if a lot of things go right. I think the most likely scenario is some version of not a worst-case scenario, but not great. And I'll tell you why. I think one is Russ just played well enough that I don't know why you wouldn't just roll that back because he seemed to fit from a cultural standpoint and an on-court standpoint. And why mess with a good thing is kind of where my mind goes initially. I understand trying to consolidate your roster a little bit. Maybe there's a version of this trade that actually brings back less money and Chris Paul actually gives them a, a, a slight reduction of their payroll and that does matter even if you're steve ballmer Mm -hmm. but honestly to me i just think the bigger concern is off the court i just don't see chris paul loving how things seem to operate there like this guy is no you know no nonsense very much at least as a worker you know like as a, a leader of a basketball team his priority is put in the work Go home to his family, win games, be professional, all that stuff. And it seems like I'm not around the Clippers, but it seems like everything you hear out of there is like, that's not really how things run. It's kind of like, well, this guy wants this today and we're bringing this guy in for a trade because so-and-so wanted him and we'll see how that works. And everybody kind of wants more playing time because we have too many guys. And I just don't know if Chris Paul, like he's going to have a great chance to win a title because that's a great team. But I, I just don't know if he's going to walk into that situation and love what his day-to-day is like. I don't love this for him because I think it just puts him in a really, really weird spot where like, I like how it's just another spot where like Chris Paul has like a very hard path to like winning an NBA championship to actually getting to compete for like the highest, highest level of anything. Right. That this is, I mean, aren't they like like third in the West next year heading into the heading? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with everything, but like they're kind of right there behind like Phoenix and Denver, right? Or even maybe next to Phoenix. But how can you just, I I just think we can like count on anything the Clippers are. It's just like impossible to like say that that's going to work out. It just doesn't usually go that way with them. It hasn't. The Kawhi is in and out. And like Paul George has been hurt a lot. Like, I don't know how you can expect that team to just like add Chris Paul and for it to just kind of work how would be an optimal way for him to contend. I I get why they're doing it. I think if they're where they're at, like why not go all in on on that kind of guy and but it's also another guy that could get hurt. Like you get it's like not inconceivable to me that if you're the Clippers, you get to the playoffs next year. Let's say you're the 4 seed. You know, Kawhi's played mostly or something. Gets hurt again in the playoffs. Chris Paul always gets hurt around that time of year. Like it's just it's like it's just like a tough place for him to end up where I think he would have a lot of responsibilities. And I think he can provide that, but it's about how often he can do it and how healthy he's going to be. That's a really tricky place for me. Yeah, to be I think they this. can keep him healthy. You know, that's one of the things. They're a really deep team. They have other guards. If maybe they still bring back Russ, I don't know. Um, and his family lives in L.A. And so I think that was important to him. And when you think about it from that perspective and just sort of the uncertainty across the whole entire Eastern Conference, where was he really going to go that he would have felt like he's not going to the Nuggets? You know, uh, he just left the Suns. There's only so many places that are going to present you a, a, a great shot at winning a championship. You know, Miami, okay, sure, but they're kind of pursuing their own business. The Bucks, 
I don't really think anyone would like choose to live in Milwaukee if all things else are even, you know, and be away from your family and you're getting down the line, Boston. He already, like it already came out right away. He didn't want to go to Boston, which is a thing that a lot of NBA players love to tell us. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, where were you going to go? I I guess it's just sort of like, even if it's the fifth best option, but it's home, it is what it is. I I, I agree. I don't think it's a, a lock but he's had a lot of chances to win a title. And so if it happens, and, it happens. And he gets all his money this way, which is good for him. Yeah, he got like 10 more million guaranteed with this. And then if the trade happened, it would be fully guaranteed. But even if he gets cut ultimately and ends up with the Lakers or something, he got 10 more million out of this. So I'm sure he uh, wasn't super bummed, all things considered. A lot more to come on the Suns front as we evolve. I, we're starting to see some of the information come in about picks, and the Suns are... Uh, Brennan, you won't be covering NBA draft stuff for a long time. That's what I'm gathering. Yeah. You know, Bronny James is in the conference that my two universities in this state belong to. So I had a little bit of optimism about, hey, maybe I dip back in, but it will definitely not be from a son's standpoint. No. But all right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the NBA draft with Ricky O'Donnell. All right, we move on from Bradley Beal. We have Ricky O'Donnell. Two-time Just Basketball Show guest, Ricky first O'Donnell guest. from SB Nation. Here. First repeat guest, Ricky. I will send you a, the plaques in the mail, but I want to start with a very big question in this draft. Um, how do I put this? There has been some not-so-soft selling via like the telecast we see with Woj talking about this and stuff that Victor Wembanyama is the greatest team sports prospect of all time, or is, is this like, like once-in-generational never before seen thing and it's like the the hype the hype around him is crazy where does he actually rank among pro let's just do nba regardless of is he is he is he better prospect than Messi at age 18 is a question i don't really think we can answer but what is he as a prospect among guys this century like of the last 20 years where does he actually rank where does he actually stack up yeah i mean I've been covering the draft for over 10 years, and I think he's the most tantalizing prospect I've seen. If you would have asked me that question before this year, I probably would have said Zion. And how is that working out right now? Not super great. Uh, Luca, of course, up there too. Plenty more that I was wrong about. Markel Fultz. The list goes on. Uh, Anthony you, Davis, you can mention in there. I'm just thinking about it a little bit harder now. Li, the last li, 20 years, per se. Li Jing, Ling, Ling, Li Jing, I can't pronounce his name, but the guy that worked out against a chair. Chair. He schooled that chair. Schooled that chair. He went number six, maybe? Yeah. E, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Wemby lives up to the hype. I think Wemby's incredible. Just the fact that he's already going to be the tallest player in the NBA as soon as he gets drafted before he plays a game. He's really fluid athletically for a guy that size. The reason there's no 7'5 guys in the NBA is because all the 7'5 guys move like Taco Fall and Zach Eady. <laughs> and Wemby does not move like those guys. He's really fluid for someone that size. Just an 8-foot wingspan is ridiculous. And there was a play going around Twitter from the uh, championship series in France where he was basically able to tag the roller then still recover to a wing shooter, which he deflected the ball uh you know, got a run out steel dunk out of it. Like nobody else is making that play to be able to recover from like tagging the roller deep in the paint to still getting out to the three point shooter. So just off tools alone, 
Wemby would be one of the best prospects ever. I think if you just looked at it, like, okay, the guy is athletically pretty fluid. He's insanely fluid for 7'5". He has an eight-foot wingspan. He should be an all-time great play finisher on both ends of the floor. Uh, in so like that's just like the tools, but then you look at what he actually did on the floor this year, and like he lifted his team to success. When I don't think most people coming into the year thought like, okay, Mets ninety two is going to be a really solid team built around a nineteen year old, and really just like that whole team was set up to like see what Wembenyama could do in terms of stretching out his skill set. Uh, you know, it's not like they were competing in Euro League; they weren't like trying to win games the prioritization was his development and even with that he was still able to lead them to unbelievable team success I think he was like second in the league in scoring first in the league in blocks first in rebounds uh shooting percentages from deep not always great but I think he shot the ball really well from the free throw line uh and then you just see the flashes of skill the one foot you know runners from three Uh, I have a story coming out on SB Nation later this week just like ranking his best plays, like the 40 best Wembenyama plays. And they're all just totally ridiculous. So uh, if you ask me, I think he's the best prospect since LeBron. Absolutely. And I don't think it's that bold of a claim just because he's seven foot five. He has an eight foot wingspan. He can move and he can shoot and he can pass and he plays hard. Uh, That does not mean at all that he's going to be the best player since LeBron. There's so many factors that could uh, you know, prevent him from reaching his potential. But I do think the Spurs are a great landing spot for him. And I think if the guy stays healthy, he should be a all-time great basketball player. We'll see if he can live up to it. No pressure, kid. But yeah, I, I don't think it's too bold to say so your that. your point about the draft. team success and kind of what the team evolved into into being is one that lands for me because I was watching, I watched, I think games one and two of the finals and I watched a couple games here and there throughout the playoffs, and teams were really gearing up against him in a way that I think surprised me because I knew what it, what you're talking about. I, I think I had this impression of, like, this team is sort of just letting him try stuff. But to see him in actual basketball situations where he's getting doubled in the post and has to just sort of make a quick read or he is, you know, having to read a team a team's offense and, you know, actually play defense. I guess I just had this, this impression that it was a little more high schoolish or a little, you know, like I, I, maybe I had, I had some of that in mind, you know, G league ignite, whatever the, a little bit less structured because I knew that the team was there for his growth, but to see him doing stuff in real sort of bas- competitive basketball situations I actually think I read it the wrong way. And hearing you talk through it, I'm I'm sold because I was sort of reading that as like, he's not doing the wow stuff as consistently as I expected. And it was the playoffs and it was a different situation. And I'm sure your 40 uh, plays could convince me in a completely other direction. And they probably will. But that's where I started to, to get some reservations a little bit. But I think you're totally right to point out that being able to do that, there is something pretty huge and significant to be said considering how young he is and how raw he is, that he was able to do those things with the amount of testing that uh, that, that the opponents were, were throwing at him as the playoffs went along and to continue to win, continue to make winning plays. That's what made me drawn to Luka in the first place. So I feel a little silly. I appreciate you making me feel silly. Um, 
I was also watching some, I, I watched the game, I think it was game one of the 1971 finals this week. I don't know why. They're all on, they're all on the NBA nice. app and I was just, I was eating like lunch and just like, oh, let's try some stuff. Um, and there is something about it too that I think connects. I, people have, you know, the Kareem comparison just because of their size and fluidity is been said before. Again, uh, good luck, young fella, and enjoy that comparison. One of the you know best players of all time, but there is something so rudimentary about the way Kareem dominated that I think actually does extend to Wembenyama, and it, it sort of you have to kind of step back and remind yourself, like this dude, it's not normal to be able to do that at his size, and the fact that he can and that it be, it looks so effortless is a testament to him, not a knock on him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just like in general, the way people talk about Wembenyama in like such hushed tones, uh, already so much pressure being put on him, like the smart bet is to fade him. Like, I mean, is he going to be as good as Jokic historically? Like almost certainly not, right? Because Jokic is one of the greatest centers of all time. But it sort of feels like if he's not as good as Jokic, it's going to be a disappointment. And that's stupid. That just doesn't really make any sense. And there's just so much that could go wrong for him that, you know, if if you're saying, okay, is he going to be one of the 20 best players of all time? And then the other hand yeah. is be a bust. Like, it's going to be just hard for him to live up to the hype just because the hype is so ridiculous. Uh, but I've written that same Kareem comparison myself when doing a deep dive into him. Maybe like I published a big story on him a year ago at the draft uh just sort of saying this guy's the next big thing who's gonna be the prize of next year's draft he missed the previous draft by four days because i believe he's born january 4th so you know if he was born a week earlier he would have gone to the magic instead of paulo bancaro uh but it just seems written in the stars for him to go to the spurs right not saying they rigged the lottery but it just seemed a little too perfect in that i think he was very excited to go to san antonio i think you have a nice completionist story here with Greg Popovich, probably coaching his first few years and hanging it up. Uh, But in general, like there's no reason really to be super skeptical of Wembenyama. I do think he's going to have growing pains. Uh, One thing that just like watching his games, I've noticed he wants to take a lot of mid range shots. And I wonder like, that's going to be frustrating to watch because it's like, dude, you should live at the rip. Like just, get him a veteran point guard. I don't know if it's Trey Jones or if it's someone else and just throw the lob and just let him dunk it. He should be living at the rim, but I think he's going to want to take like Kevin Durant style shots. And when those shots go in, it's going to look amazing, but is he going to be able to hit them efficiently enough where it's consistently good offense? I don't know. And even if he's putting up like, you know, all-star caliber numbers, like before this show started, we were chatting about, the numbers Porzingis was putting up. It just feels like in today's NBA, if the team is built around you, like the offensive efficiencies are so high around the league that somebody has to amass those numbers. So I think like he's going to put up big numbers uh, mm-hmm. early in his career. There may be an all-star discussion. I- I've heard that from, I think maybe uh, Javoni has been saying that lately, that he's going to be an all-star in his first year. And you can sort of see the pathway to that happening just because, I mean, someone on San Antonio has to score, and if he's you know durable enough and available enough, he's going to put up some big stats, I think. Uh, 
but I don't know. Like he's got so much pressure on his shoulders. I think he's awesome, but just because he's one of the best prospects ever does not mean he's going to be one of the I, best players. Chris, ever. I'm curious what you think of him, but or, or your thoughts. But I, I think you're the the best way to put my thing is not even so much that I'm fading him or thinking he's going to be a bust. I think it's just maybe what a lot of fans uh, who might be dipping into his playoffs this this past month or who will be watching him in in October or at summer league. Apparently, he might play is just coming to somebody so late when the hype is already there. And I think that's what I was experiencing where you're almost comparing them to that instead of just absorbing their game. And I think that's a lot of what was going on. And yeah, some of the frustration over the shot selection, I think, I think is there too, but he's going to be a blast. And I think the impact he can make defensively is going to be immediate. What do you think, Chris? And and I do, I I do think the Spurs part of this is worth hitting on just because I think if there's a place that I would feel would give him at least historically before we know that franchise, like who, you know, it it's changed. It's, it's not the same as it, as it was like, this isn't like just a recreation of Duncan. That's not how this, this ever works. These aren't things aren't ever one-to-one, but if there's organization that would feel like it is built to help cater Victor Wembanyama to not get, to be able to live up to these expectations, like you would think it's the Spurs, right? Like that, that to me is like one of the things I like about this because he has pop there to shepherd him. They are going to have a front office that has done some of this before that there's already some good players there. Like I'm a Keldon Johnson fan. Um, you know, like they did like brand him in the first round last year. Like they had like, is that they like Zach Collins is like an interesting, like guy to play with in the front court as he starts to just like, there isn't like, this isn't like he ended up in Charlotte where it's like, I just don't know what you're getting, what you're getting into there. We kind of know what he's getting into here and is he's going to need this. Like, LeBron, I would be curious to see what LeBron would have to say about this if he, we got him candidly about this because that is the only guy that has come in. Maybe Zion, too, at least got close to that, the hype at least. But LeBron came in with this pressure to save a franchise, to live up to being Michael Jordan, to being the chosen one and having that tattooed on him and being on the SI cover. This is the 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 2023 version of that where they're putting his games on the NBA app and they're alerting you when Victor Wembanyama is playing and like... They flew Wendy to France to do like a two-minute TV hit. Like, like this is where we're at with Wemby, and he's going to have to survive that as much as he's going to have to adjust the NBA. And I, I wonder, like, if he, I, the Spurs feel like a good place for him to do that based on what we know about that organization. Yeah, I really like Sohan as a potential fit next to him on the yeah. floor because he can defend all over the floor. He's six foot nine, really quick twitch athlete, can't shoot at all, but Wemby's going to shoot. He's going to space the floor for you on offense. So I think that sort of alleviates some of the spacing concerns with Sohan as your four. I think Devin Vassell could be in for, you know, possibly an all-star turn playing next to a star player. Keldon's pretty cool. I still have Blake Wesley stock from last year as just a really athletic rim attacking point guard. Uh, And really what the Spurs have been missing is just like sort of the straw that stirs the drink. They've had a lot of good role players, but they just haven't really had that lead initiator that, you know, is going to, begin and end all actions and i think you know Wemby's just set up perfectly for that so yeah it's gonna be fascinating he's gonna be really fun to watch uh and i think San Antonio did a, a ruling before we move on from him uh i prefer vic i think saying the word Wemby is a little like infantilizing to yourself you sound kind of ridiculous when you have to say it i'm not saying i've never said it but i try to remind myself vic we're trying i'm trying to implement vic as the 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 jargon the the co- the, the style of just basketball Chris, Chris goes Wemby. Where, where do you lean, Ricky? 
I guess I've been saying Wemby, but when you were saying that, I was fully agreeing with everything you were saying, Brandon. Right. So maybe I'll switch to Vic. Perfect. I do kind of like that. Got another one. I'm going to go to Victor. I'm just going to go Victor okay. full. Maybe. What's his middle name? I'm going to need like, because it, uh, I don't know, but I'm going to need like, because like Dr. Doom is like uh, his real first name, the Fantastic Four villain's first name is Victor. I'm going to need like Vic, like a Vic, like a Victor, like Dr. Doom kind of thing. Because like he, I need some art. I need like, I need some, some him as like a super villain art, like just imposing and scary. Like, I think we're going to get that from day one. Especially. Imagine when he gets big too, if he adds muscle. Like, what is he gonna look like if he just gets like, if he just like goes to like weightlift to Texas for a weekend, you know? Just goes to a college football program and like learns how to squat. He's gonna add muscle. And then it's just like, you know, how fluid is he still gonna be athletically as he bulks mm-hmm. up a little bit? I mean, the big thing is just injury concerns. Just when you have anyone who's seven five, and we just saw it with Zion, where Zion looked like such a safe bet to be a great player but zion had a very weird body and victor also has a very weird body because he's seven foot five and human beings are not supposed to be seven foot five uh and he had a lot of you know injuries that were following him up until this year now he was durable this year but also in that french league they're playing once a week in the nba sometimes you're playing four times a week so i did a story on sb nation about his injury history like a year ago just thinking that like, okay, this is like the one thing that could short circuit him or, you know, the most obvious thing that could. Um, and he hasn't really had a serious injury, but he had, you know, some sort of lower back injury like two years ago. And he had a bunch of, uh, you know, bumps and bruises along the way. So it'll be very interesting to see like, you know, if I threw it out to you guys over under 60 games, for Victor next year, are you taking the over or the under? I, would I think I would the take under. the under too, and part of that is just them playing it carefully. It's not even me assuming he's going to get like injuries that directly become yeah. absences, but I just don't think they have any reason to force it. Totally, I would also take the under. And you would think, you know, they could be in line for another premium draft pick next year. Like I, th- I think it's possible they could compete for a playing spot. Uh if he plays enough games, if he plays around 60 games or a little bit more, but you're right that there's no reason for them to push to compete. Like this is just a year of like sort of seeing what the team looks like around him, seeing how comfortable he is in the NBA. There's really no pressure on them to win whatsoever. Oh, and by the way, they have all these Hawks draft picks from the DeJounte Murray trade. They have a 2025 bulls pick that I think is top eight protected from the DeRozan trade. And they're going to be set up brilliantly for the future. So another Spurs dynasty is definitely in play. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it's going to be in play. And aren't we all going to be lucky to witness that once again? <laughs> uh, last thing on 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 Vic. I'm just going to say Vic now. Did he? Did he? You mentioned like Zion as a weird body, like obviously a very different body. Did, did has Wemby like blown out? Has Vic blown out his shoe at all? Like, have we had, like, a, a these, equipment mishap like we had with Zion? That are interesting, like, pregame, if you've ever seen the pictures of that. Yeah, I have. What a... I, I just wonder, whatever... How do, you, how do you be that big? It just seems kind of hard, seems honestly. All right, let's move yeah. on to the... Seems unpleasant to, like, have to, like, maybe duck... There's never a door that's built for you, you know? But... I guess you're going to make lots of money. If you're going to be that tall, at least be gonna say, yeah. basketball. It's kind yeah. of, you know, it's Don yeah, Draper, yeah, that's yeah. what the money's for. Yeah. It's like being 7'5", being incredibly yeah. wealthy, pans out. 
yeah, work works out. French national hero, all that stuff. Um, all right, Ricky, if I if you were the the, the head of the the Charlotte Hornets and they're reportedly having a workout on Monday with with that with Miller and Scoot to like really with Michael Jordan there in person to kind of figure this out. Or would you go Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller at two? Yeah, it's good to once again pretend to be Michael Jordan as I did throughout my childhood, of course. But <laughs> I would go Scoot. Uh, I think it's it's kind of a toss-up. I would throw a few other names out there, too. Amen Thompson, I think, is awesome. I have a feature story on the Thompson Twins coming this week on SB Nation. Really yeah, just, just using this going. podcast to plug all my work. Sorry. That, 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 like, yeah, plug away. Uh, I'll buy advertising next time. Uh, I have Cam Whitmore ahead of Brandon Miller, but I have Brandon Miller 5. Uh, and he's a worthy pick at number two as well. Like, I think after doing this for so long, I do feel a little less conviction in my yeah. takes. Like, now I can kind of see both sides of it, where I don't think if Brandon Miller goes number two, I think, you know, in 2016, I would have gotten really worked up about that and said, Charlotte is a horribly run franchise and they should fire everyone. And now I'm like, I could see it. It could totally work out. So if they do take Miller, you could talk yourself into it. He's bigger and he's the better shooter. I mean, mo- most of the time, all things being equal, the guy who's bigger and is the better shooter is probably going to be the guy who's going to be the more effective player. But I would still take Scoot. I have some concerns on Scoot just because his numbers did not improve this year. Weird. You would think he would have gotten better his second year in the G League. His shooting fell off a little bit. And his tape just isn't that good. Like he had a lot of times where you thought he should be able to finish plays that turned into turnovers uh, or turned into, you know, drives he couldn't finish. But I would still take Scoot because I think that him and LaMelo will be able to figure it out. I think LaMelo's development as a shooter, believe LaMelo was like in the top two or three of three point attempts per game last season quietly because nobody was watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Hornets, but he's become a pretty good high volume shooter. That's going to be important because the big, the biggest hole in Scoot's skill set is just going to be his shooting, uh, both on and off the ball. Off the ball, he's just not a very good spot up shooter at this stage. So you wonder, you know, Lamelo will he have to move off the ball a little bit more if they do take Scoot? But I think their games can complement each other because Scoot's so good in the mid range. Scoot certainly provides more rim pressure than Lamelo, which is sort of a hole in Lamelo's game. They're both really good passers. And I think Scoot is just sort of built to be a downhill guard in today's NBA who, if he can like continue to sort of attack the basket the way his tools say he should be able to, should be a monster drawing fouls, uh, should be awesome in transition. And I think that he's just really good at manipulating the pick and roll. So I would take Scoot too. I'm a little less sold on Scoot after going back and watching him recently. Like before I was like, Scoot is in his own tier. And then I was going through it to do a big board, which will be published on SBNation.com this week. And I was like, I don't know. Now now I could sort of, I'm still going to have him too, but I feel like I'm not going to have him in his own tier at number two. So long story short, I would take Scoot. I think Scoot and LaMelo, if nothing else, will make the Hornets all the young kids' favorite team. That's just such a cool team, those two guys. Like, already children love LaMelo Ball, I've been told this. I don't really know any kids it's myself. probably for the best. So I, 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 yeah, you're Ricky. Ricky's just on TikTok being like, all right, who do the kids love? Who are the kids into these days? 
yeah, Caitlin like, Clark and Lamelo and, and well, they also yeah. love and Ja and Caitlin Clark. I think those are like some of the Holy Trinity. Sick. <laughs> Dude, two of those three, I would feel pretty good about if I'm a parent. One of those yeah. little little nervy at this current moment. Can we can we throw names or have Ricky throw names out now, Chris? Are we to that part of the proceedings? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so we're there. The guy that I'm most intrigued by is somebody who doesn't know anything about this stuff is Anthony Black, Ricky. And um, I think Henry Abbott, I think he said, I, I, I remember reading something from him that he's writing a book about P3 and Anthony Black has been going there and they love Anthony Black and swear that he's like the most kind of unheralded guy whose whose athletic traits are bound to kind of make him something better than what he might be thought of as now. But he's also pretty cool now. I mean, he's six seven and can kind of handle the ball and, and and do a lot of different things on the court, which is the type of player that I tend to be drawn to. What are your expectations for him after one year at Arkansas? And what's kind of the best context for you for him to end up in, do you think? Yeah, I saw him up close in the NCAA tournament. I saw so I had a front row seat in Des Moines for Arkansas versus Illinois in the first round, and then Arkansas versus Kansas in the second round. Arkansas beat top-seeded Kansas, who was the defending national champs. Uh, Arkansas made the Sweet 16 and then got smoked. But what one thing I was just drawn to about Black is the dude is just massive. Like, it's easy to see those measurements and be like, oh, he's a big guard. His legs are also, like, wider than my entire torso, and he's just so solidly built. So I think, you know, to me, a big selling point is just going to be his defensive versatility. And you just look at him and it's going to be hard to move that guy off a spot, even when he's defending bigger players. So when you talk about, you know, guards with true switchability, I think he is going to be able to defend uh, some, you know, fours and maybe fives in the league, small ball fives at least, which makes him really intriguing. Offensively, I have some more questions because there were so many times this year where it just felt like he couldn't really threaten the opposing defense whatsoever. Part of that was because, you know, maybe he was miscast as a point guard. Maybe in the NBA, he'll be in more of like a connective role, similar to Josh Giddy, where he's with another ball handler and he can just sort of fill in the cracks, keep the ball moving. If he develops uh, a better three-point shot, you can see a pretty easy path for him to be just a good all-around player, which is the type of team, type of player teams especially need in the postseason. Someone who could defend multiple positions and uh, has a pretty well-rounded skill set. But right now, like really slow and unconfident shooter. And I just don't think he's like dynamic attacking the defense off the bounce. So I'm a little bit lower on him. Right now I had him 11th. I also think if Houston took him 4th, that I would be like, okay, that was a pretty good pick because he just would seem to fit well with what that team needs and is, quite frankly, a safer choice than a men Thompson. Uh, A men would have higher upside because he has absurd athleticism. But I would think that Black is definitely more of a high floor choice who could still have a pretty high ceiling. So I like Black, not one of my favorite prospects in this draft. Um. Would not be surprised if he ends up being, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, a guy who should have gone in the top five. Uh, it really is going to just depend on how his shooting confidence develops. 
And if he can just get a little bit more explosive off the bounce, because right now I don't really see that, but sometimes that develops in guys as they like get their bodies stronger and maybe in his case, slimmer because he's pretty big, but uh, he's an interesting prospect for sure. And you got to love a big guard. I've been sucking yeah. into so many big guards covering the draft over the years. They're tantalizing. Uh, let me ask you about the Thompson twins, specifically in this lens. They played for overtime elite. That's a different, having watched some of the games, it, the, the production's different, the, the talent level's different. Everything about it is very different than college and the G League and overseas stuff. So, like, is it is it harder to evaluate, like, as, as much as you can see some of the things they do and read about them and go back and watch some of their other tape and, and whatever, how hard is it to evaluate those guys and what they could be based on the setting they are coming from? Yeah, I definitely think that that makes it more difficult. Uh, for one, they were playing against like 16 to 18 year olds most of the time, and they're 20. They turned 20 in January, I think. So they're like a year older than Scoot Henderson. They're like 18 months older than Cam Whitmore. They're about the same age as Brandon Miller, though. Uh, and with them, I feel like you kind of just got to go off the eye test. Like sometimes I'll see like people have like, you know, steals per 100 possessions for the Thompson Twins. It's like, who cares? Like, yeah, they're good <laughs> defensive prospects for sure if you just watch them and you see the talent that they have, but I can't put any stock into an overtime elite statistic that isn't like free throw percentage. And by the way, they're horrible free throw. Yeah, my steals per hundred at the park uh, but against the fourth graders is like really sick. I don't know if you guys have ever done any of that, but you just snatch it. It's really, it's really simple. Yeah. And they did a lot of that in overtime elite. The question I'm asking myself watching them and I'm high on them, but also, like, I'm not going to get fired if I'm wrong on them because I have been wrong so many times covering the draft. And at the end of the day, I tend to go for upside more than the safer choice because if I'm wrong, I don't really care. Like, I, I you know, if you're, if you really don't want to be wrong, you probably shouldn't be high in the Thompson Twins because they could bust for sure. But they're such fun players to watch that I just can't help being drawn to them and root for them. Um. I guess I'm trying to see where I want to go with this. Like what the one thing that's really interesting to them about me watching their games is that they were able to turn every game into like a transition fest to an almost hilarious degree. Like a team would miss a shot. A Thompson twin would catch the ball, do a 180 pirouette in the air, fire a 40 foot outlet pass to the brother and the brother would pass it down court to another teammate for a bucket. And I wonder do they have a special skill in turning games into transition fests? Or was that more a byproduct of the league they were playing in? Like Chris was asking to start the mm -hmm. question. Uh, so I don't know. I do think it'd be awesome if they both played on the same team. It's kind of a bummer that they're not going to be on the same team, at least not to start their career, unless the Magic get them at 6 and 11. So I guess it's possible that they could be in that range. Uh, but, you know, while people, I think, like sort of discount that ability to turn games into transition, like transition scoring is more efficient than half-court scoring always. So if you can do that, that's a very valuable skill. And it's one way to sort of mitigate being underdeveloped shooting-wise. I think Amen is the worst shooter I've ever evaluated as someone covering the draft. I mean, his, his jump Brandon shot is Clark, horrible. I would, I would throw out a Brandon Clark. Well, but it's it, it's the the fact that you're like this this guy could go three 
or this guy could go in the top five, and you're like, this is the worst shooting prospect that I've ever seen covering the draft. If I'm exactly. Houston, that's the difference between him well, and but, Brandon but, Clark. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it is, but it's like, I think this, and if I'm like, like some of these teams, like positionally, like what they need matters, but it's like, that would scare me so much. This feels like yeah. a pick like the Wizards could make, but yeah. like, can't, like, like, how does Portland make that pick if they're going to stick yeah. with, if they take with Dame? It's just such a weird thing for me to think about if I'm like, if there's parts of him that just are such a gamble and I, I need something more certain, which is a, maybe this explains why we keep hearing rumblings of teams like wanting to tr- trade out of the top 10 for whatever reason. Uh, you know, we always talk about three level scores. Amen Thompson is a one level score. He has no mid range game. He has no three, but he is a monster at getting to the basket. He's incredibly athletic and he's so athletic in like weird ways. Like, yes, he has a blazing first step. He could jump out of the gym, but he also just like sort of like darts from side to side of the paint to like find available breathing space for himself when he gets into trouble. This is just really crazy to watch. And he just, hangs in the air longer than everyone else too. I interviewed his coach, Dave Lado, who was the head coach at DePaul, two different stints before he went to overtime elite. And he was talking about how like they almost play the game in a fourth dimension because they're just able to jump further away and hang in the air longer than anyone else. One thing I'll say, uh, not to go into him too much because we already spent a lot of time, but you know, I think your guys' perception of it, just reading up on it, might be that Amen is, you know, the better prospect, better talent, whatever. And Amen, I do think, deserves to go higher. But I would say Asar is the better player right now. He's a better mm. shooter. Uh, in the playoffs, he shot 38% from three and 83% at the free throw line. For the season, though, he was like, you know, under 70% at the line and about 30% from three. But he is a better shooter. He just, It just looks better. Like, a man, it just doesn't look good when it leaves his hand. Asar, it's a slow release, but I think Asar is maybe going to shoot eventually. He's a really good ball handler, and he's, like, a way more disciplined and effective defender, both on and off the ball. So I was, like, sort of talking myself into an Asar is better than a man take. And, by the way, Asar was the MVP both years there. So, like, he has the hardware to back up the fact that he's better too. Pretty sure Kevin yeah. O'Connor has, uh, has but, that that way. Yeah. Has that? Nice take by KOC. Um, but I just can't get over a men's athleticism and the fact that he's six foot seven with a seven foot wingspan. And if he's playing on the ball, his jump shot doesn't really matter as much. Even if you go under screens on him, even if you play off him on the perimeter, if you give that guy a runway, there's sort of almost no way to stop him. And when I think of a one-level scorer. I mean, Giannis is kind of a one-level scorer, you know? Like, you can... you Granted, he's 6'11 and the strongest man in the world, and a man is 6'7". Uh, but I do think there's ways to work around it, even in a league that shoots more threes every year. So I love the Thompson Twins. Can't wait to see where they go. I think a man would be a great fit in Houston. Or I could, you know, if I'm Washington, definitely. Like, what do they have to lose? They got nothing to lose. They drafted Johnny Davis last year. And that was supposed to be a safe pick as a Big Ten multi-year guy. And he had a horrible rookie year. So you never Congra- know, but Congratulations to the Washington Wizards uh, for, for being the Washington Wizards. Well, at least Beal is now in, in uh, is out of their hair. And they don't have to pay that contract at the really. So that, that's at least good for Ted Leonsis's pocketbook. Ricky, I want to end on this. Give me a guy outside of the top like 20 that you're just convinced is going to be good. 
a guy outside of the top 20 that I'm convinced. Give me, give me a Ricky, fa- give me a Ricky fave. So if the Cavs, let's say like buy a late twenties pick or the Suns do this, I can be like, Ricky said that guy's good. And if it's the guy from Belmont, I'm going to have some PTSD to like the Dylan Windler pick, but you know, that's, that's, that's a whole other story. I like Amari Bailey yeah, I like him. from UCLA. Okay. Played high school ball with Brownie at Sierra Canyon. He was a consensus top five recruit coming into UCLA. And then I think because he was sort of like stuck between a one and a two, and he's not a really great shooter, that people just sort of cooled on him. But the more I watched UCLA, just the more impressed I was with him because he's, he's big, he's physical, he defends, he can attack off the bounce. And his shot was actually pretty good on low percentage. Obviously, like being a low percentage shooter on, with, or low volume shooter with a good percentage is not exactly the strongest indicator for future shooting success. But I think he, he should have a projectable jumper. So uh, just like physical combo guard, Mari Bailey, he's always been considered one of the best players in this class up until, you know, he had to play a winning role for a UCLA team that wasn't built around him putting up big stats. And, you know, they were good with him on the floor. He played a big role for the team. So I like him. I think he will be available after, like, pick 25 or something. And I see him carving out a career as, like, I don't know if I want to say a Derek White type, but maybe sort of in that role as, like, a physical combo guard who could bring a lot to the table and not take too much off. I like that a lot. You can check all of Ricky's workout at SB Nation. He has the Thompson's twin feature coming. He has the big board coming. I'm look- I have his mock-up right now from two weeks ago you can go check out as well and there's a ton of stuff we'll be doing all week he, just, he did trade grades on chris paul and the washington wizards and bradley beal content machine gave the wizards an appropriately poor content machine ricky o'donnell ricky thanks so much thanks guys up next eric gunderson we're gonna talk dame stay tuned All right, now we're going to the Pacific Northwest. We have a great guest with us, Eric Gunderson. You can check out the Bulls versus Blazers podcast only on Patreon. And you can check out the Blazer Banter Substack. I don't think anyone I know knows the Portland Trail Blazers better than this man. Eric, my brother, how are you? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be on. And yeah, man, it's, 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 it's absolutely the most exciting time, I would say, since in the off season, at least since they drafted Dane. Um, I think that's the positive way of looking at it. Cause I think the other way of looking at it is, it's like, it's quite could be chaotic, but I think, you know, I think it's an exciting time ultimately, because I think the Blazers just have more stuff to, to trade. So let's, let's just start with, I think the big question facing Portland right now. I think where like a lot of the speculation is going, obviously we're in a post Bradley Beal trade world now. So I wonder if this is where a lot of the eyeballs now go to, but Damian Lillard. Absolutely. Depending on who you ask, he's either staying, he is at draft workouts and all that stuff. You ask other people. It's, it seems like there's a lot of just, I think teams are kind of hoping he becomes available in some cases. We are a couple days out from the draft based on what you read and you thinking about this and everything. What are you, what is your like, conception of what is actually happening with Dame right now? I mean, I think there, there's definitely a part of him that, that is like, has is thinking about it more that, because I think he needs to see them deliver 
something that makes the team better. And I think it's like, before we were on air, you and I were just talking about how Damian Lillard hasn't played with an all-star teammate at the present time, like a present all-star in eight years. Like that, I think, is really what he wants the most is is someone who's in their prime that is an all-star level contributor to be on the team next to him. And, you know, and I think the conversation about the the, the picks are, are are very real though. And I think I think the other thing that yeah, Portland, you know, is trying to make sure is that they don't get fleeced either. Because, you know, three is a, a valuable pick according to a lot of people. And, and, and I think that they don't want to be in a position where they're not getting what Dame is hoping for with three, you know, they've got to get that type of return with three, if they're going to give it up in my opinion. And I think, I think ultimately push comes to sub, shove. I think Joe Cronin is going to try and do that because I don't know. It, let's say they change ownership in a year or two. Is Joe Cronin going to be able to stick around to see everything through? Yeah. Well, you know, with the Phil Knight speculation and everything like that, you know, and, and, and Cronin has been here for almost like, I think he's been here for like 16, 17 years at this point. Like he's been with the organization a long time. And I feel like he's been waiting for this moment. And you know, but but it is an interesting call. Like maybe maybe he will get to write it out and see see it through. But I there's also a world in which, you know, someone else buys the team and then they're like, oh, well, we don't see the vision and he's gone. And and I've, I I think there's so many different pressures on Cronin right now, and I think that might be the most under discussed part of this is that the guy trying to pull the trigger here is like under a lot of pressure from a lot of different sides and. Uh, I just think that the Miami stuff, Dame talking about other teams, I think Dame just wants to make sure that like, they know that, that this is, that this has got to be, they've got to do it, that they've got to get it done because he's been waiting for, you know, a long time to do that and was willing to sit out the, you know, last part of this season when they had a chance to get into the play in. And you look at what Miami did, obviously Portland was not Miami, but like if you're Dame and you think the way that Dame thinks, you think the way an NBA player thinks, a superstar of that level, you have to imagine that he's like, well, shit. You know, like, like so, so I think that that's part of it too. So, so I, I think it's just a very fascinating time right now, but I, I do think that, you know, I think ultimately both sides want to make it work here in Portland. So I think, I think that's what it will end up being. You know, what I kind of love is um, Blazers people have this shorthand already of calling the third overall pick three. I don't know if you've heard this, but everybody just calls it three. It's like, well, what can three no. get? Like, it's just like a, it's like a movie title or like, it's like a, you know, a nickname, like a, an operation that the FBI would do. It's just, it makes me laugh. I was like the second or third person I've heard uh, do it that way. But um, do, do you buy the heat thing? Do you really think that they actually did not go after Beal on purpose because they really have this, this highfalutin plan that they're going to go out and get Damian Lillard and that's their end game. Or is that just 
Pat Riley damage control a la Danny Ainge for all these years of, well, we were that close, but we chose not to go get the superstar that that actually didn't ever want to come here. Well, I mean, I think I think that has a lot of merit, Brendan, because of the, you know, what we've heard a lot about the the Bartlestein connection uh, between agent and CEO of the Suns, like that being a huge thing, like if those if those two people were already kind of in lockstep and moving forward, you know, that makes me a lot uh, believe that the Heat really never had a chance uh, at this situation and that Beal actually did want to go to play with Booker and KD because I think that you bring up a great point. I, I also think they do want to wait for Dame. I do think they want that. But let's say the trade stuff happens. And, and and Dane does ask for trade. I don't think Miami has the best offer. No, this is the this, this is the thing that I think gets me in all of this. And he doesn't have the no trade clause like Bradley Beal. So he can't like literally like direct himself to where he wants to go. And it's, you know, whatever, whatever the reasons are, Brendan, I know you're you and I talked about it. Locked at Lockdown Suns will have more. There, there's. Bielder kind of had to approve that he was going there. I kind of just assumed that like Dame would get a say in where he ends up, but that isn't as you're outlining. It's like, that is not in Portland's best interest. If they decide to do this, they should take the most they should get and say, thank you, Dame, for your service. You're a franchise legend. You brought us so many memories of the last, however long you've been here. But you, you're signed in 20 years of the franchise, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's been yeah. 20 years since the franchise has had moments like they've had with Dame, you yeah. know, and so it's, it's like now you're a Brooklyn net here. Thank, thank you very much for your service. I don't think this actually does anything to further where you want to go, but you, congratulations. You now live in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I mean, especially with the thing today, no offense to you know the Suns, but like. If things don't work out with Phoenix, I would much rather have Phoenix's draft picks from via Brooklyn than probably anything else on the market if I'm Portland. Hmm. Because if things don't work out, let's say KD gets hurt a year again. You know whose picks I like? Minnesota's. I'd be trying to get Minnesota's (laughs) picks from Utah. That's what's that. Those are I got to defend my 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 city. You're throwing me under the bus here. We just we just got three of the the best players in the league. I mean, come on. I know, but I just don't, met you, I, man. I know, but I just don't think it helped. I just don't think it solved any of your guys' problems. No, I got you. I got you. I, I I think that's probably how they would be thinking about it. But I guess the, the the question that comes to mind with what Chris was talking about is, to me, every NBA superstar, and I am speaking from experience here, has an implicit no trade clause, whether they actually have one in their contract or not. Yeah, I think that they're able to make it known in a not so subtle way whenever they become available where it is that they would like to go. And given the fact that Kevin Durant, it took him eight months, but he ended up exactly right where he wanted to go. I think that's as good of evidence as anything that if you're at a certain level, which I think Damian Lillard certainly is, you're not going to get sent shipped off to Toronto or Dallas or whatever. uh, If you don't want to be. The right. Sacramento. I, I mean, you know, I think, like bro, you're going to go where you want to go within reason. I mean, I think the thing you bring up about Utah, though, is that like he has a history in Utah. It's not like he doesn't know it there. He went to college there. I don't think that that would be like a thing that he would be super against. And Brooklyn, he has already said that he would be down to play with Macal Bridges. And I think 
you know, I, I think those, but and I think Brooklyn has more attractive draft capital than Miami does. I just think, I just think, and so if he's down to go there and, and, and asks to leave, you know, I, I think that's important's best interest. I think the other thing hanging over this is the fact that Portland does have the third pick and that this is like a weird three, third, sorry, excuse me, three. I'm looking, um, I they just read some, they have three, excuse me. Charlotte has two. Portland has three. No, you said it right. I'm saying uh, you got to use the code word like the Blazers guys use. They they just said oh, okay. three. Remember that was my whole. Okay, sorry, my bad, Brendan. My brain right come on, now come on. is Let's destroyed. I'm gonna need another Lacroix or or take our producer Jake's advice and start drinking uh, Liquid Death. But this is a weird position because how many times do we see we we barely ever see teams that have established stars name brand NBA superstars like Damian Lillard pick this high. The, the the Warriors came the closest and they took Wiseman and it didn't work. Like that that hasn't worked and the, the two timelines thing didn't work. They're at three. They have Mike Schmitz who we know loves Scoot. <laughs> There's a lot of other Scooty kind of things going in there. Scoot to me would be like a great... I'm a Scoot over, over Miller guy it seems to me that like that would be like a way you could really reset some things if you wanted to, but Miller would kind of maybe like fit your knee. Like this is such a complicated pick, Eric, to me. It's like you're at three. And if you keep Dame, what does that mean? And like, I don't think he's going to go the next day and be like, here's my, you didn't take someone I love it through. You didn't trade the pick. I don't think the next day he's slapping that on Joe Cronin's desk. It doesn't feel like a Dame thing to do, but this is such an interesting position for them to be in. It is because you're totally right. I mean, a player having a player this good and being this high in the draft, it doesn't happen a lot. And I mean, to me, the team that I keep looking at is Toronto just because it seems like they've signaled that they want to be a player development franchise. They hired this coach that is like very strong in player development. They lost some assistant coaches you know, which I've been reading in the Toronto media that were really close with Siakam. And there's been a lot of rumors that that hurdle could get up to 20 million in free agency. And like with the new CBA, do you want to be like, that's the one thing about the Blazers is that like, I know it's been like their owners are probably like behind Steve Ballmer. They're still probably, they have the most money of anybody in terms of the Vulcan incorporated and like it's a like being in the luxury tax for a year or two, even in the new CBA, like they can probably handle it more so than other teams. And uh, even though, you know, and they haven't done that since 2019, but uh, I, I do think that that's also, you know, something to watch for is that, you know, it wouldn't be crazy to have Jarrett for them, with how much money they have to have Jeremy Grant, Pascal Siakam and Dame on the same team. I just don't think it would be that crazy for them. Um, so you think just, Siakam is a good enough player that would sort of be that, like cross that threshold of like satisfactory to Lillard. Yeah. Cause he's an all-star or at least all-star caliber player in his, in the prime of his career. I mean, he's just turned 29. Mm-hmm. And he can play make. I mean, I think he's also, you know, probably a better transition player than Dame's ever really played with in terms of like being able to create his own stuff. Um, and also in the half court as well. I mean, and defensively rebounding. I mean, he just does a lot of things that really complement him well. Uh, 
And I think he and Jeremy Grant would honestly be a really good lineup together. And then, you know, you could still, you know, figure out with that. You'd still have the full MLE and, you know, other exceptions that you could, they still have a trade exception as well that they could use in the trade on draft night. God. So if you if you think today, you look at this, let's say they keep the pick. Do you think they would prefer Scoot to to Brandon Miller? Well, I mean, it's not it's not really up to them, is it? It's true. I mean, I I, I mean I personally would take Scoot just because I think Scoot is better. I think Scoot will be better. I, I think I like him more, and I also think there are I think you could easily trade him for quite a big uh return like Zion. And while Siakam is something that I would like just because I think you could probably trust that he's going to be healthy for more and he and he's been there before and he's a veteran and like I think that counts when you're talking about someone playing in the playoffs. I think that matters to me. But I do think that the idea of swinging for Zion Williamson does really uh, excite me uh, for the Blazers, just because I do think a change of scenery could really help him. That's the part of this that interests me the most, I think, is in the most like tinfoil hat, you know, let's have the most crazy NBA offseason ever version of this. You would imagine something with Charlotte. And then, you know, Chris and I were talking about this a little bit on our last show, like Charlotte sort of wielding their leverage would be the worst case scenario for Portland because, and it seems like they're sort of doing that where you don't know who they're going to pick. And so a team like New Orleans that wants one of these guys actually has to go to two, not three. And that, you know, hurts what, what the Trailblazers are able to do. The part of that that I just don't see actually working or happening or making any sense is that the Hornets are going to play this the right way. Like we're talking about a team. Like I just think the Hornets are just going to take Scoot. That's kind of where I'm at. I feel like they're trying to kind of, uh, you know, be cloudy and, and mysterious and interesting. And then it's like, okay, like you guys kind of, everybody assumed you would take Miller because you already have LaMelo, but really you maybe like Scoot. And now word just sort of got out. Like the, the sports books have reacted and all of this stuff. And so that damages, you know, New Orleans pursuit because we know their guy is Scoot. So it kind of it means, well, ignore the Blazers. They actually don't really have anything to do with this anymore. But eliminating that Charlotte side of it, if Siakam's good enough, you think, to kind of satisfy Dame or, or present a pathway toward winning that he's okay with again, enough to get him to stay at least, is Ingram? Is Brandon Ingram? Because I, obviously I think Zion makes sense. I, I could totally, I think anyone would would be intrigued by that possibility. But Ingram seems like he's sort of right at that cutoff where it's like, maybe, maybe not. You know, not really an all-star, but again, all-star caliber, you could say. Right. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think he would probably be more into it than I would be. <laughs> Like I like I, I like I I think he would believe in like wow okay we got another dude who could go get me a bucket and can get fouled can can make shots in clutch in close games but you know I think Siakam gives you a lot more defensively I think I think he just gives you a lot more complementary skills 
than than a Brandon Ingram would, though Brandon Ingram would be an improvement. Uh, you know that that is that is true. I just think Portland. I do like whether and, and I think you know Miller gets a lot of the the attention. I do think that there's a lot of also teams that really like Amen Thompson at three. And, oh God. And, and I and I do think that like there could be just another team that we're not thinking about that might like an Amen or something like that that comes in at the eleventh hour with a player and a pick or something like where they trade back and they maybe get a role player and maybe do something with that pick and something else. Like, I, like, I, I just think that the, what Joe Cronin probably knows the cap better than that. He definitely knows the cap better than, than the previous GM. And I think he knows the cap about as well, the, the CBA, excuse me, like about as well as anyone probably does. Cause he cut his teeth in the in the organization learning how to read the cba and learning all the ins and outs of it and so i think he's just a very clever guy and i just do think that um you know he might have something that we haven't thought of yet it was a good pun chris where eric said amen and then you said god Yeah, it went well together i don't know if it was intentional but that 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 was intentional but it was also a junior reaction to be like i i i think I think if a team doesn't take Scooter Miller at three, they're like, they're, what 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 happened? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? That's that's just like an open concern to me. If a team would, the Miller would... thing is one of the most crazy things in the draft. If he actually slips, I'm gonna need people like Jonathan Gavoni or whoever to write like a like a government report, like a federal government 500 page explanation of what exactly has gone on with that dude this year from the criminal stuff to soaring up draft boards to now all of a sudden falling. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. And I really, well, I mean, they, they said he got mono or something, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, I mean, I mean, I mean, and that's why he wasn't good in the tournament, right? That was sort of the explanation of why and he, then wasn't he wasn't good. good. And he had the knee thing. Yeah. And then he allegedly had a bad workout with Charlotte. And that's why Charlotte's yeah. having this whole Scoot and Miller MJ summit. I mean, I mean, th- this draft is like, I mean, last year it was like pretty like, I know it was kind of crazy that everyone was like, oh my God, Paolo going number one. But I feel like the like, the like smoke screens and like chess games and shit are way, excuse me, are just way more high level right now. And I just feel like there's so many people being used. There's so many agendas out there. I just feel like this is way more like, you know, Game of Thronesy type than, than I feel like last year's draft was at least. Chris, I know we want to get to more Blazers stuff. I have one option for the third pick that we we haven't talked about and that we haven't talked about today. Oh, Please, boy. is it not? Is it is it the Porzingis thing? No, I okay. don't think. Okay. okay, okay, thank you. I was like, I was like, I just really don't want to talk about that because I know no, it's Kyle bullshit. Kuzma. No, oh, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, no, it's Lowry Markkanen. Because I sort of feel like Utah, you know, they're already, they're a little bit ahead of where their pick situation should have them be, if that makes sense. Like, they're not really where Oklahoma City was three years ago. They're Mm -hmm. a little bit ahead of that, but they're just coming on to having all these draft picks. And so I've already been kind of looking at them as like, I really would be surprised if they took all three of their first round picks. And so could you do, you know, three 
for Markinen in 25 and then whatever Sal, you know, Simons probably goes back, but you still get the first round pick if you're Portland because Utah doesn't need all those and whatever it ends up looking like. I think Markinen well, yeah. is it's better than Ingram. I, I, yeah. I think so too. I think he's a better yeah. fit. I think he's a way yeah. better fit because he can rebound. Like, like I think that to me is the, that's the big thing for me is that Lowry can like, I mean, this year was like a revelation for him on that in that respect, I feel like, but like, if that's who he is now, I would rather have him than Brandon Ingram 100%. I like, what do you think, Chris? You like that? I, fit? I like it a lot. I think Markinen obviously like really blossomed last year in a major way. I think he would be such like a, a, a guy who could fit around what Dame does in, I think a really organic way. Um, I, I mean, Dame, you, I mean, LaMarcus, LaMarcus couldn't shoot quite like Lowry can from three and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that was a pretty sweet pairing. Now LaMarcus was a really gifted low post and mid post scorer in a way that Lowry hasn't really shown, but like that natural three. And I think also he's a great, like dive to the rim. He's athletic. Like, I just think there's a lot, there is a lot there to like with, with that pairing. And I, you know, I think it might not get the fans as excited, um, but I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's worth, it's worth doing, especially if you can maybe get, you know, like what are their mid they're what do they get the six 15th pick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's like eight or eight or nine and then 15 and like 26 or 28 or something like that. Yeah. So like maybe like mid, one maybe, in the middle of each 10, 20, you know? Yeah. Maybe you get, maybe you can get workout to get eight. You know, that, that would be, you know, a dream scenario. If you're, if you're going to do that trade, um, you know, especially if you have to give up Simons uh, in in that kind of deal, you know, you'd want to get something in value for him. And I think that, I think that's one of the things that I think bothers me maybe the most about the conversation about the Blazers is the way that Simons is discussed as an asset in that he might be, he's one of the best he is one of the best individual three-point shooting creators for for unassisted threes in the league. And I think he has improved defensively because he's grown, he's gotten stronger, he's grown an inch. Like, And I just think he's miscast as a two-guard. And if you played him as your lead ball creator on your team, like I think a team like Toronto, for instance, especially with some guys like Scotty who can play make, I mean – especially a team that also like Toronto that can't shoot threes. And I think just mm-hmm. three point shooting is such a premium, man. Like, like I, I just can't, I just can't buy that. Like someone that's this good at creating deep threes and creating threes for himself is somehow just a throw in in all these deals. And I just think that like, he is part of the value that another team is getting with the number three pick or three, as, as we like to say, because like, I just think like the notion that he's just like this garbage throw in, when he makes less money than Jordan Poole or way less money than Jordan Poole, way less money than Tyler Hero. Like, I, like, and he provides probably better three-point shooting than both of those guys. Like, to me, I don't understand. And, and defensively, the difference is marginal. And I think he probably is better because he's more athletic. Like, I, I just don't see how he's a negative asset in the, all these talks. What it says to me is really that the Blazers aren't getting – the top of the top of the top where you have to trade Simons and the third overall pick and X, Y, and Z in order to get that player. And so when you are talking about an Ingram or a Markinen or a Siakam type, then it's like, hold on, like Siak- uh, Simons is not just salary in that case. 
And right. then I th- so I think it more speaks to like, you're not trading for Kevin Durant. You're not trading for Donovan Mitchell. You're trading for the kind of tier below that. And that's why it starts to feel a little weird where you're like, wait a second. Are we actually giving up too much if we're Portland? And I, I think that's where it is. I think the other funny part of all these guys that we're talking about is it just feels like Portland's destined to never have a good defensive team. <laughs> like no matter who they get here, I'm like, and how are they getting a good defense? If, if Nurkic ends up still being their starting center or whatever this looks like and a bunch of well, young the guys thing, in the role player spots, it's like, are they going to just be 30th in defense again, you know, or 20? Well, I mean, I mean, the other thing too is that, you know, I think Nurk can be in any of these deals because like, let's say if for instance, let, let's play in the world that Toronto is willing to trade Siakam. In what world does it make sense to bring back Yaka Pirtle for 20 plus million dollars a year? When Nurkic, not as good as Pirtle, but makes a lot less money than him. Like, and it's like, you're t- and all your best players, are, you're going to be your got young guys on rookie contracts. So you don't have to kind of pay them quite yet. Like, that's a team where, like, let's say Yusuf Nurkic gets into the deal, where it's not like the most insane idea of having him because you don't have to pay your best players and you need a cheap center that can fill the role, that can start, you know, 60 games. And I feel like Nurk can do that as, you know, frustrating as, as, as Portland fans have gotten with him. Let's end on two last things here. Number one, Shaden Sharp. He is kind of the other young, fascinating piece in all of this. He's obviously with the long runway until I think he gets to his prime or anything like that. Eric, when I when I say what is Shaden Sharp going to be in year two, what, what what comes to mind? Wow. Um, I think he's going to be the starter um, at the two guard. Uh, you know, and, and I think Dame has believed in him and. And I think whether, you know, whatever happens this summer or not, I think, I think Sharp is going to be a big part of whatever they do. And uh, I think one of the things that I think I really came to learn about him is like, he's a really underrated defender. And I don't think that, and I think in terms of point of attack defense, he really takes pride in guarding his man. He gets chest to chest with his guy when a guy gets tries to go somewhere his chest is already there and the Blazers really haven't had anybody that can do that um in a long time and so I I think that having and also he's six six you know I I think having him he's more traditional two guard size right and and I think I think after playing this season and, you know, if Portland can make a move that improves the front court, which I think is really what they're looking to do right now with, with if they're going to make a move is improve the front court because they can re-sign Jeremy Grant. And, and, and I think Sharp is going to take a lot of assignments against like really good guards defensively, uh, you know, for the Blazers, because I, I just think he has the ability. And I think, uh, you know, he's, he, had some mistakes with team defense as young players do, but I just think that his natural ability to defend uh, individually is, I think something that I think really will get more attention in, in his second year. Brennan, where are you, where are you at on sharp? Really excited for year two. I mean, he's somebody that, you know, I was excited about pre-draft. I'm not going to, sit here and pretend like I watched a ton of those late season Portland games when he was racking up stats. I think I maybe caught one. Uh, Maybe it was a highlight of one. Uh, You know, look, um, there's a lot going on, but I feel like... You had a good team to watch. Well, 
you know, we do a, we do a, we do a national program here, but we had some bigger fish to fry. Portland slipped through the cracks as the, as they chose for themselves when they decided to sit their best Absolutely. player. But I mean, look, I think the I think that the thing is with him is it's just going to be playing time. I mean, that's always going to be the case. That's or that always was going to be the case because he didn't play in college. So that's really what it is. And I hope that wherever he ends up, he actually gets that. And I think he will because seems like Portland loves him. And if anyone's going to get him this summer, which would be a a really big trade, they would probably like him a lot as well. So I just want to see him play basketball a lot more. And I think he could be really good. And that's not a hot take, but I mean, the talent's there. I mean, we all know that. Yeah, here here would be my take. I think if they were in a situation where like Dame had been moved on, like, and that was just like going to happen here, like they were in the, the, the Washington situation, you would look at Simons, you would look at their incoming draft pick, and you would look at Sharp and be like, oh, they have like a really interesting young core to rebuild with here. And that kind of doesn't, I think, get talked about just because the Dame thing takes up so much oxygen, right? Like, I think you have these guys that are ready made to help you pivot if you decide you want to. Simons obviously already has the extension, but like, it's not a crazy contract. It's, as you said, it's less than Hero. It is less than Pool. Like, that is not something. And the cap's going up. You're going to be okay. If you wanted to and you felt like you had it, we would be talking about those young guys in that way, I think, in a very different way than we look at like Corey Kispert or whatever, or Johnny Davis. Like it's a different class of guy, but it, it yeah. the Dame being there just kind of shades. I think unfairly to them, I think shades kind of what we can think of them in that case. Yeah, and I think I think my ultimate hope is that people in the NBA maybe are not as uh, like clouded by the clout of Dame to like actually value some of these assets and make a real deal because like. If some people can actually like make some deals in good faith, I think it would work out really well for them, and I think it would work out really well for Portland. I think maybe an underrated aspect of again me talking about Toronto is if you make a deal with Portland to you know give them someone that Dame likes that keeps Dame out of the East because yeah. where where because where is Dame ultimately? I mean, I mean, you said Utah, Brendan. I mean, you talked about the Utah picks, but I mean that would be. I mean, that would be pretty crazy if they traded him in the division. You know, I, I even though he does have a, a connection there from playing college basketball. So I, I, I just think it's a, it is a really crazy time. And I, th- I just think that ultimately, I think this is what I would say. My last takeaway about the Blazers is that ultimately two years ago, after they got eliminated by the Nuggets without Jamal Murray and they hired Billups and they fired Terry Stotts and Lillard was like really out like he really did not want to come back at that point and they had nothing else really to look at either like they had no future besides that and so two years later because honestly because they no longer have Neil Olshay as the general manager and they were able to make a lot of changes in the past two years regardless of what happens they're in a much better position than they were two years ago and and that's um, I think the most positive way to look at it, if you're a Portland fan, uh, is that they're they're in a position to make deals, they're in a position to rebuild, they're in a position to build around Dame, and and give him a shot. I I I think that they've uh, they've opened themselves a lot of doors, and I just think that ultimately, like I, I do think the market hopefully will value some some of what Portland has to offer with with, with Simons and and with the third pick. I want to end on one last question. It's probably the rudest thing. That's why I saved it for last. Um, and I'm going to mm-hmm. phrase it in kind of a very blunt way. So, like, 
is Chauncey Billups just a, a good coach or just he just bad? Like, here's here's the thing. I, I have a take. I have a. I, I think one of the easiest things you could have done to make me feel better about any of this is just like say Chauncey Billups bye and you like hire like Sam Casella as your head coach. I, I mean that's like not, that's also super problematic. But well, uh, <laughs> look, uh, is, but, is Chauncey Billups like at all like a good coach if they rebuild or if they like go all in on Dame? Like, the, so, like the, I mean, here's the thing. Here's what I'll say. Uh, the most forgiving thing I think I could say is that they played really hard when they were tanking. Uh, okay. <laughs> they probably won some games that they should not have won because I think Chauncey got them to play hard. And I think my most optimistic view of Chauncey is that because my main criticism of him is he doesn't, I, I don't think he has a true system so much as that he changes the game plan every time based on the opponent. And I feel like that type of mindset is like really beneficial in the postseason when everything is about matchups and everything is about scheming towards the right personnel and, and the focus is there. But if you don't have a way that you play in the 82 game season, to me, that's a major problem. And to me, I think that's Chauncey's biggest issue is that he has yet to establish. And I think he's tried maybe, but like whatever he's tried hasn't worked. And, and, and to create, like, to me, a, a, a style of Blazers, a, a style of basketball that he wants. Because he was probably to bring up the defense. Defense is just as bad as it always was. And offensively, they're worse than they were under Terry Stotts. So, you know, it hasn't worked out. And so you want it to work out. Uh, but, and I think he has some strengths. I just think he, and I also do think that, like, maybe Portland staff maybe is not, uh, as I think they might be too geared towards player development is what I will say in the, in the nicest way possible. All right, let's end there. This has been the just basketball show for Monday, June 19th. Thanks again to Eric Gunderson for coming through. Check out the bulls versus blazers pod on Patreon. Check out his blazers banter subsec. You will be better off for reading it. Just, and look, no one knows the blazers. I think better than this man. So follow along, tap in back after the NBA draft on Thursday. Let's see what kind of spice we get then. Until then, enjoy the Dembi NBA hoops. Thanks again for tuning in. Talk to y'all soon.